Welcome to Spice Bags, a podcast about Irish food in the wider world. Today's episode is on feuds, and we went on Instagram and uh, Twitter and stuff, and we said, hey, people, send us great stories about feuds. And everyone was everyone got in touch and was like, hi, don't, don't say this on the air, but <laughs> don't mention so, any names. Yeah. Don't this, mention so, any so, names. Just <laughs> as long as there's no names involved, that's fine. So-and-so's a bitch of source Rex. And then I talked to my, interestingly, I talked to my husband who's a lawyer and I was like, yeah, we're doing this episode on this. And he said, be careful who you talk about because, um, Ireland has a very, uh, the courts here are very pro plaintiff in defamation lawsuits, which is really interesting, actually, like that in, in the US, um, there's, uh, the, there's such a strong free speech angle on everything, that uh, it's much easier to talk shit about people <laughs> and not get in trouble. Whereas in Ireland and the UK, it's much riskier. It's much riskier. I was actually talking about it with one of my sources. Um, and I was like, well, if this was already in print, can't we say it? And she's I think like, you no. can. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think you can, but she's like, it's just probably better. Not. But it's interesting because we tend to think of Ireland and, and, and the UK, frankly, as places that are kind of, I guess, a little bit repressed or, or not repressed, but especially in Ireland, it's a, it's a, it's such a small town, right. That you don't, that you think that people don't talk shit about each other because everyone is everyone's like cousin and everyone's boss is everyone's brother and whatever. Um, but actually it's funny that it's embedded into the legal code. Yeah. But also I think Ireland is so small that people, everyone knows each other. And also the slice of the pie is not as big. We're not talking the mega millions like Martha Stewart. So people tend to be, it's, it's, I don't think it's as ferocious as it is in America or, you know, sometimes in Spain where there's a lot of money at stake. So you're yeah. going to bite back. Well, so this is what I wanted to ask. So today on Spice Bags, it's very spicy, spicy Spice Bags. Um, but I wanted to ask, like, yes, it's it's fun. F- food feuds are fun. But what are we, like, what, beside from just gossip and sort of salaciousness, like, what do we learn from them? Like, what's important about a feud? You know, and I have no answer to this, really. Um, I was but, thinking yeah. about this. Blanca, uh, did, what, did what sparked you? Because it was Blanca's idea, obviously, to do this. <laughs> I have to say I was uh, the gossip columnist in my high school, so I always wanted to know who was getting on with who. Um, I think I've always been fascinated by food feuds in general, like maybe the a person from a telenovela in Latin America hating another actress, you know, something like that. Um, in the UK, when I was working there, you realize there's so many feuds in the UK whether it's, you know, Gordon Ramsay and Marcus Waring or Gordon Ramsay and Miss Piggy, um, <laughs> Gordon <laughs> Ramsay and Jamie Oliver, that it's a very, it's an enormous topic. And also we have a lot of historic um, feuds and feuds rivalidades. Huh? Rivalidades. Rivalidades. That sounds like, tele- <laughs> like, like a telenovela. I know. I love. It. I saw your tweet asking for asking for rivalidades, and I was like, "That is far more fun than feuds." Um, and we can talk about the Alison Roman thing or not, which I don't know yeah. if that sparked your interest. I think in that topic, I think that but. definitely sparked. I mean, that that for me sparked an interest, and in, and maybe also because it was the Asian American angle 
Oh yeah, for sure. Right, okay, so right. maybe you should give us a, a little précis on the Alice and Roman debacle, which is not a feud. It is very much not a feud. It's a dust up. It's a dust but up. You can give us a little précis on it, but first, I just want to say I think that maybe why I've been thinking about this a lot. Maybe why we're so interested in feuds is it has to do with the reason, or it has to do with the fact that food writing and food media is so euphemistic and glossy, and it's all it's so close to product pushing, and it's got this like commercial easy peasy, everybody loves each other quality on the surface. And it can be, you, you just look at the world of food media and as it's presented to you and you're like, kind of just want to break it. You want to break, but you want to know that there's some kind of red blooded rounded out critical humanity underneath it. And I think that's what it is for me. It's like the same reason that everybody in the world loves the fact that Ellen DeGeneres is actually an asshole, <laughs> right? <laughs> like she's famously like a complete psycho and people just love to trade stories about it. Like it's, it just became like everyone's favorite fact because the surface is so, is so almost nauseatingly pleasant. And I think that might be true for, certainly for me, for food media is that maybe when we see a dust up between Alison Roman and um, Chrissy Teigen or whatever, we, we think maybe we're getting to the truth behind it. Maybe we're getting to like a little bit more of a dimensional humanity behind this, yeah, you know, this glossy world. I, I agree with you. Um, but also on top of it, I think one of the reasons why I was so involved with the Roman Tegan dust up was because what else was in the news? It was Donald Trump is messing up our country and there's Corona everywhere. So for you, it's more like beyond, it's like more like Blanca and the soaps. Like you just think it's too soaps. It's it's great, but it also and but yeah. I mean, I'd say previously, and um, I wanted to bring up uh, Anthony Bourdain at some point, right? Um, well, that that's so that's exactly what I'm saying. The reason that Anthony Bourdain was such a hit, why Kitchen Confidential was a hit, was because he came out with a book that showed you exploitation, you know, drug use, fear. Um, the like dimensional people with real stakes in the food world. It wasn't just another like beautiful brunch, you know, but he was also really good. And we'll come back to him and the, the foods that he sort of stirred, but he was like, he was a good natured shit stirrer. That's true. But that's what I'm saying. It's about revealing, it's about revealing truth, not about ruining lives or reputations, you know? Yes. And when we go back to the Roman and the Chrissy Teigen thing, like Roman and Tegan are not going to be ruined by this. Well, yeah, true, but I don't know. I think Roman's brand has been hurt. Okay, so but for those of, for those who don't know, Allison Roman is a like cheeky, lovable New York Times uh, food stylist and re- recipe developer. And thirty one really years now. old, also you know you know lives in a third floor walk up. And She's got a whole kind of character, yeah, persona on the New York Times site. And but also her recipes are like shared a million billion times over. Her she's the author of The Stew and and these famous salted uh chocolate chip cookies. Like she's her, she's a great great recipe developer. And as when we interviewed Dominique Kemp, you remember Dominique was like I'm obsessed with these Alison Roman books, etc. Um and she did an interview with some uh website where she said that um she 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 said that she would never be like Chrissy Teigen who immediately, you know, put, put out one cookbook and then suddenly has an Instagram content farm and all these product uh, partnerships that she's essentially a sellout. And she, Marie Kondo, same thing. Marie Kondo's whole, whole brand is getting rid of shit. And all of a sudden she's making stuff. She's partnering. Yeah. She's yeah. selling things. Yeah. And I mean, there was, there was also a moment in the interview that since got deleted, which was that she said something like, please too, 
via my chopping board. No. Yes. Yeah. And no. That, yeah, that was and and she backpedaled on that. Oh, uh, yeah, no, which yeah, that was, whoa. that was whoa. It was just that was That's that was bad. Yeah, it was bad. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. I think her brand has been has been hurt a little bit. But that here's the point is that I'm even saying that a journalist has a brand. Like we're you know, a generation ago, the people who developed recipes and became kind of your 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 cooking companion in the newspapers that we love. You know, um and for for me, you know, growing up who who is that? Like Florence Fabricant or something like that. Um, but I don't know who it was for for people here in the Irish Times, you know, the person whose columns you read and whose stuff you cook and you get used to their voice and stuff. That was a job and that was enough of a job. But now, um, Alison Roman, see, this is the crazy part. She <laughs> is sponsored by J. Crew in her New York Times cooking videos. And she is uh, had a development deal with like um, a pot com- a pot and pan company. Also, in, she in was exec produced by her TV. Her upcoming TV show was exec produced by Chrissy Teigen. So there, I think there's like the teachable lesson in this is that um, she up. really she thinks of herself the way we all think of ourselves as authentic, um, yes. right? As like other people do it, other people do Instagram, other people sell themselves out, but I'm authentic. But she had absolutely no self awareness about the fact that she too is is monetizing her persona. Um, just as much as any other uh, of these women. Doesn't this spat remind you a lot um, about um, the spat between Gwyneth Paltrow and Martha Stewart? I think we go back to this money angle when the, when the piece of the pie is so big, people get angry when other people try to join in the party. And, you know, Martha Stewart was not very happy when Gwyneth Paltrow started doing cooking books and she was very, very open about it. So I feel that... Alison Roman is doing the same thing. She's trying to defend her territory, but she's not as famous. She's not a household name like Martha Stewart is. You know, if there, I was went also, to- there was also, I mean, I, I, we don't have to go too much into it, but there was also a race angle that everyone brought in. I didn't the, pick up the angle thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, but well, because no, Chrissy Teigen is, Chrissy Teigen is part Asian. She's yeah. She's half Thai. And obviously, right. Marie Kondo is Japanese. It's Japanese, and so. Um, but this is so the reason this is not a feud is that Alison Roman came out in the end, absolutely groveling <laughs> with forgiveness, like just drooling through this apology letter, which she absolutely should. But I mean, she's like, I'm taking steps to learn about my privilege. I mean, it was like absolutely the anti-feud, you know. Um, but Martha, still, like, Martha versus Gwyneth was fun because it was two white privileged girls. Yeah. Two who, titans. Two titans who didn't have anything to lose. And there was a subtle, like, and it's terrible to gender this. I was thinking about this, right? It's like, it's bitchy, right? Like there was a subtle bitchiness about their feud. There was a, when Martha, then, uh, when Gwyneth divorced, What's Chris Martin? Martin. From Coldplay. From Coldplay. Um, and said they, they were consciously uncoupled. uncoupled. Yeah. And then Martha put in her magazine um, a pie issue, which was all about conscious coupling. Yeah. Wow. That was Gwyneth. wonderful. That's and a, that's a prison show. <laughs> Sorry. Gwyneth hit back by doing a jailbird cake in honor of Martha Stewart because Martha Stewart was in jail. 
in a low oh, security so jail. Good. You know, women are much more prone to do this um, recipe fighting. I think uh, recently Nigella Lawson did a, a slut um, spaghetti, like pasta la puttanesca, spaghetti la puttanesca for Trini Woodall, who is dating her ex-husband. So I find women are a lot more creative maybe in these feuds than men. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Like, we, have you guys done, looked back at the kind of history of these things? I'm sure they're... Well, I did actually. And so, I mean, I guess like the original troll for me, so, and I used to teach him, uh, was this guy, and I don't know whether he came across uh, your uh, Julia, is Grumo de la Remiere who is 19th century, right? And so, yeah, so he's this drama critic and he was probably one of the first few critics and he was just a freaking troll. So you do these, you know, whatever, you do these banquets that were like all black or all decadent. But one of his favorite things was because he had a wonky hand and so he had a crafted appendage that was like a lobster claw and he put it on an oven. Like he put it on a stove and then what gave him a huge delight was then to shake hands with people with this like burning hot. Oh, that. Right. <laughs> and he was, yeah, but he was, you know, he would be. So he, sorry, he was a first. chef. He, he was a chef and critic. Is that? No, 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 a no. more restaurant, a uh, restaurant critic. A gastronom. Like a yeah, gastronom. Per- yeah. yeah. He would, he would have been, um, he would have been, uh, like, uh, Brienne de Savarin's, um, contemporary. But wow. He, yeah. So, um, but you know, and he was, yeah, he was just, so why was he such a piece of work? He was just an asshole. Like it wasn't a particular person that he was in a feud with. Um, no, no. I think he just loved to give people pain. Okay. (laughs) Talking about historical feuds, there's a really interesting Spanish one, um, in, it started in 1599 when uh, a food writer chef wrote a book, um, it's called Libro del Arte de Cocina, so the book of art of the kitchen. And 12 years later, somebody called Martinez Motiño, he was the king's uh, chef, wrote another book. And they had a bit of a feud. And he said the other book was too Italian, that he didn't know how to cook. And eventually, uh, you know, these two books were bestsellers. But eventually, in 1987, a scholar researched the original book, the 1599 one, and found that he had ripped all these recipes from an Italian chef. So I guess he was right in being suspicious and having this feud with this with this food writer. But we have food feuds, you know, in Spanish food history. From the moment people started writing books, we've had feuds. Well, I think you're bringing up something really important, which is that in th- the, the food world is particularly um, propitious for feuding because attribution is so difficult with recipes and with culinary creativity. And we've seen that happen in plenty of restaurant cases or, you know, um, plenty of times with, um, with food writers that, that it's, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to, to know when you've changed a recipe enough to make it yours. Well, there was, and that was actually really famous. Um, a hat tip to actually a woman that I was talking to here, Marilyn Bright, who is a grand um, of food writing, but um, it's Richard Olney, who I think a lot of people know. Mm-hmm. And he, he famously had a lawsuit against this guy called Nelson. And his lawsuit was that Nelson had, had basically copied his recipe word for word. Okay. And because he won that lawsuit, there was a standard that was then established about plagiarism in the cooking world. Hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, you only have to tweak things a little bit to then say, well, I was inspired by so-and-so. And um, I mean, that's, we're kind of veering off course a little bit, but I can understand how that could be the grounds for a feud. If someone, you know, what looks like, um, what looks like influence can sometimes be stealing, you know? Another type of feud that, you know, we haven't touched on is the the feud between countries. So Denmark versus Greece over FEDA or Lebanon versus Israel over Hamas. Yeah, everyone coming for Finland. Sorry. Everyone coming after Finland. Jack Chirac coming after Finland. For what cheese was that? I think it was just the general cuisine. He was like, they don't have one. (laughs) Like, or it was like, it was nasty. I was like, hey. But yeah, I love those. And um, I was re-watching some parts of Bruno, um, you know, Bruno, Sasha Baron Cohen's character, interviewing a Palestinian officer and an Israeli minister about Hamas, but using the word Hamas. Yeah. And it's pretty <laughs> funny. But the Hamas thing is, is, is a huge deal for Israeli people because they feel it's theirs. And then, you know, Arabs from the Middle East feel that it's theirs. And everyone else in the world is saying, why should we care? Yeah. Oh shit. The last thing we need is like to morph, morph fire for that conflict. <laughs> um, yeah. I, the, I wonder like, um, so can, can, can we talk about, uh, the, um, I guess, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't talk about it, but the whole thing with, is it Amsar? No, not Amsar. Anyar. Anyar. I was going mean, to say, that, I was going to, that's I was been gonna published, call, right? Yes. It's been published. And I was going to call it the, the feud between the two gentlemen from Galway. Yeah. We're not going to say any names. Because we interviewed him, so that would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, and, you know, and there was this whole, like, oh, well, you know, he was my best man at my wedding. And, you know, and then it gets very personal. Um, the feuds here are less publicized, like we said, because it's, you know, it's a smaller country. But then you go back to something like 2000. You Wait, are we on the record again now? Are we? In the, yeah, I think we are. Oh, okay. Bold. <laughs> For legal purposes, I would just like to say that I have absolutely nothing to say about any of these people. I love everyone in Ireland. I am a mere visitor here, a yeoman, a journey woman. Please don't come for me. I have no money. Go ahead. Um, but no, but if you look at like the independent in 2000 and it's amazing. It's like page six about restaurants about Why? Because there, because there was again, as Blanca was saying, there was so, so much money to be made. It was a kind of gold rush, possibly. And also, I think that there was, um, it was sort of this idea of writing about restaurants and food was new, so people were maybe a bit more reckless about it. Oh, I um, see. So it was great. Um, and then, like my own personal, like this was my own personal hero in Ireland would have been this woman called Helen Lucy Burke. I don't know if you guys have heard of her. Yeah. So she is amazing. She was the first restaurant reviewer. Um, and I think, and I'm going to female, 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 no, but, but not, not even that, but it was just that she was sort of this like, you know, madcap journalist who, when she was a hotel reviewer would be diving in her mattresses to look for dust bunnies. And she basically, yeah, she used to cut, you know, and the, like people were shocked because she would cut restaurants with her colorful prose. 
Well, see, that's the thing. I remember, you know, I was saying earlier that I think that so much of the food media is so euphemistic and glossy and product pushing um, that what passes for criticism is, you know, a lukewarm review of a restaurant. That's not what we, you know, that's not actually criticism. Um, that's still just selling papers. Um, Whereas you know, like, like, yeah, I mean like one of her reviews is called the peacock, the critic and the blind pussy. Shit balls. <laughs> it's like, you are my hero woman. Wow. <laughs> what, what, what period of time was this? This was 19, I think she started writing in 1983. So did she get into feuds because of her willingness to go out and to lash go out people? And lash, yeah. To go out and say that this restaurant's not that good or, you know, to, I think the blind pussy one was, and, um, was the fact that, you know, she had said, um, Hey, can I get a doggy bag? Because I want to feed my blind pussy. Wow. And then the restaurateur uh, actually anticipated this and filed a lawsuit against her before the review could be filed. Wait, her meaning like, I want to go home and give this to my disabled cat? Yes, uh, yes exactly. should be eating this? Yeah, exactly. Okay, wow. So, Thanks, Julia, um, you were right about the lawyer angle why because it was sort of veiled or something no because this you know the the irish restaurateurs are they're they're not they 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 will use the law against you if they oh yeah defamating them yeah 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 Um, um so but i mean i guess i want to come back to julia what you were saying why is the feuding important why are we interested in it I have a question, guys. I think sometimes these feuds are fabricated. And one example we have in in Spain, this is American versus America versus Spain. It's uh, Grant Chats of uh, Linea and Next uh, versus David Munoz from Diverso in Madrid. Um, and these guys started spatting on Twitter about copying each other and. Grant said to David, you've copied me. And he said, but you copied Adria. And it just became a huge Twitter storm. And then a couple of years later, they decided to do a pop-up in Madrid. And they came and they did the pop-up. And of course, everyone wanted to get tickets to that pop-up because I had been feuding. So I was torn saying i was talking to you know some people in spain saying was this a real feud and they said yes because there's no pictures of them for this event that they did they were never seen together they cooked at different times but to me when i first read about it i was i thought it was a made-up feud just to get attention it was was a pr feud but i think what that shows is just that the capitalization of the self on social media it doesn't really matter whether you're the good guy or the bad guy. Do you know what I mean? And uh, like I, uh, for Alison Roman, this will surely raise her profile. I mean, I was saying earlier it would dent her brand. I guess it will, we'll see. But, um, but all you need is more followers to be more sellable, you know? So maybe this is, we've entered a new era of the feud. And I mean, as a lot of journalists have written about the Alison Roman dust up, um, it is a phenomenon of Twitter because Christy Teigen has, Christy Teigen has, 12 million followers. And she, she has like an army of people that then went after Roman. And it was this, as, as you described in the Spanish case, a, a real Twitter s- swarm. But one thing that happened in Spain, I don't know if you remember the Ferran Adria versus Santi Santa Maria feud over use of additives. And 
using, you know, all the stuff that Ferran Adria used to use, like sand and gum or CO2. Um, what happened after that feud was that the government told restaurants, guys, you need to behave a little bit better. And it's kind of toned it down. So in Spain, the feuds have gone down after that big feud between, you know, Ferran Adria of Elbuy and Santi Santa Maria. He also oh. died. Santi Santa Maria, so that might have helped. But I'll put an end to your feud. So <laughs> it could also work. I, I think it's not good for the restaurant in- industry of a country to be seen as always battling. Yeah. Especially um, accusing of, you know, using things in, in recipes that aren't kosher. Yeah, but, well, yeah. The Ferrana, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say though it, it is. I mean, it's it's not good, and at the same time, I think Julia, you said this earlier on, which is one of the reasons why we love feuds is because this idea that you know that that the food community is so bright and happy. But there's a lot that goes us. unsaid, and in a feud, sometimes the that which is unsayable usually gets said. Can yeah. I ask you a question? You need to tell me your favorite um, food feud. Well, here, I, we haven't even really come across any, except for the Martha Gwyneth thing, really. I mean, if this conversation talked, shown us anything. I love, okay, it. can I just say. There like, aren't that many feuds, actual no, feuds, are few and far between. People fa- usually just get into trouble and then they fucking no, my, back off. My absolute favorite has been Jeremiah Tower versus Alice Waters. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Right. Like that was so interesting. He's such an interesting character because we're not really sure whether he is what he says he is, like whether or not he, you know, I think like got like a degree from architecture. From can you can you give it, people a little bit of the backstory of um, Chapanese and Chapanese? Exactly. So Chapanese, Alice Waters started Chapanese. She wanted basically a French brasserie. Um, she's a girl in California. Jersey. Yeah, in California. Um, and then this guy, Jeremiah Tower, arrives on the scene. Um, and he, again, had graduated from Harvard uh, with an architecture degree. He said that he was at loose ends because he was researching the ruins of Atlantis and lost money. Um, but Tower was fundamental to Chapinese for two reasons. One was because he convinced Alice Waters that they needed to use local ingredients. So the whole ethos of Chapinese, right, which is, you know, this idea of cooking locally, that was Tower. And then on top of it, Tower had these crazy menus, right? He had the Gertrude Stein Alice B. Toklas menu. He had the, you know, there was these you know, all garlic menus. And when Alice Waters published her Chapinese menu cookbook, she had those menus, but she credited them, credit, credited them to herself. So again, it's about stealing, about stealing about recipes, stealing. About this kind yeah. of the fudgy, the fudgy gray zone of creativity. Um, in, and if you, recipes. if you're, if you want to know more, there is a documentary on netflix um about him called the last magnificent which is a very um fascinating account of his life yeah i don't know i mean uh, real feuds in ireland few and far between or public ones anyway it's it's really not something you see that much of but i do think that having a nemesis kind of makes life worth living (laughs) you don't have to be public about it. it is ultimately it is it's like having a nemesis makes life worth living you're totally right (laughs) 
<laughs> it just keeps everything going for God's sake. Like, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and, uh, and she was like, Oh, my nemesis won a Pulitzer prize. And I was like, who the fuck is your nemesis? And she was like, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah M. Broom or Sarah H. Broom, you know, the woman who wrote the yellow house, which is, she's like an African-American woman from new Orleans who wrote this like incredibly telling thing about, about like race and, and, um, you know, economics in New Orleans. And I was like, um, she's a terrible nemesis to have. She's like, like, you know, this friend of mine is also a journalist, but she's like a very different journalist and she does different stuff. And I was like, that's, that's, you really got to choose your nemesis. Well, don't choose like, you know, don't choose like an incredibly virtuous and very gifted, huge name in your field. You know, maybe like choose someone who's in your field, but like, it's just like maybe an asshole and slightly shittier than you at what they do. We didn't say anything about Tony Bourdain and he does have the Well, I just, quote. I think, I think for me, Tony Bourdain was the genuine, like, I think I, I mentioned this before. He's like the, the sort of genuine shit stirrer, Right. Um, but for me, the funniest thing was to see him with Mario Batali and Marco Pierre White um, at Barnes and Noble, probably. 20 years ago. Oh my God, uh, you saw them went to a talk or something? Yeah. Um, I went to a talk and they hadn't seen each other in 20 years. And we waited for an hour and a half. So the whole thing was just that Mario used to work for Marco. Um, and Marco said that the risotto was shit and threw a pan of risotto at Mario's chest, at which point, Mario took like massive handfuls of salt and just put them in all the sauces because, you know, Marco was like super French about his sauces and walked out. And so this was the first time that they had been together um, and they were an hour and a half late. They were clearly drunk. And I have never, I've seen Bourdain in a couple of public situations. He's usually super cool, was super cool. Um, he was sheet white. <laughs> Wait, just because these guys were... Jesse's like monsters, right? They kind of yeah. monsters, titans kind of, right? And they're just kind of wobbling on stage. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, but I'm that's, seeing it. But that's, that you know, that's what you, you know, that's entertainment. Yeah, I guess. But, but Anthony Bourdain was really the, is somebody that had issues with so many people, but made it so funny. He but he, he, everyone he was good-natured about it. Like, I really liked his, you know, beef with Alice Waters. I thought that was, you know, I mean, even when he called her, like, Pol Pot and a Moo Moo. Um, but, you know, when you saw them together on stage, like, he said, look, like, you know, I buy organic milk for my daughter. But I can afford that. And you shouldn't be preaching that people who can't afford to buy organic milk for their children are not worthy. Yeah. See, I think Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain had this like same annoyance that like I, I feel sometimes looking at the food world is that it's so happy clappy and like, you know, it, it makes everything look so easy. And actually there's so much like depth and, um, you know, exploitation and sadness and strangeness that, that, that it could be getting at better. Um, but yeah, just like going back to the Alison Roman thing, I feel like we need some closure on this because like, I, you know, I'm really conflicted about it because I don't know if it did, it did in a sense do that thing of puncturing that happy clappy, um, surface of the food media world, right? Like you got a sense of maybe, you know, of, of her being a bit of a monster or something like, 
or maybe of her not not adequately taking into consideration like the extent to which she herself is um, a, a product of this media world. Like she's self-capitalizing and monetizing, right? Like doing all, she herself has all these like inter-partnerships and, and deals. Um, but also it's not fun. Like I can imagine what it's like to be in her shoes and to have millions of people on the internet, like hate, hate you. Like that's a kind of psychological thing that um, red hot lobster hand didn't have to go through years ago. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's a new kind of horror. And well, it's, I, I, do, I, I really feel I for her. something in favor of Alice. Woman, I, I think the thing is that she's worked in this industry for a long time. She's come up through the ranks, you know, as a food stylist and she's made a big, biggish in America. And along comes somebody from outside that world, publishes a cookbook. And all of a sudden there are, cooking celebrity. I think I understand her anger. I see. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, I've been working all my life on this. I've devoted my life. You haven't. And I think a lot of, um, actresses do it. A lot of, um, models do it. Sophia Loren published a cookbook about yeah. Italian cooking. Should we get upset about that? I think we should maybe, should we make it public in, in, in a forum as big as the internet these days? Maybe not. But you're really putting Alison Roman on the therapist's couch right now because she didn't say anything about being pissed off at Christy Teigen for doing a cookbook. In fact, she says it's great that she did a cookbook. The problem is that she immediately then sells out and starts doing product lines at Target. But also she said that she had an army of people behind her, her accounts, you know. Just yeah, yeah, her, her social media stuff, yeah. She doesn't believe, she doesn't believe that Chrissy Teigen has an authentic persona online, whereas she wants everyone to think that she has, she a has authentic an authentic persona, persona online, yeah, right? Like, yeah. I mean, like the whole point about Roman is, is that she still has, like I said, like the, the third floor walk up this is probably going to get me in trouble with Asian Americans, but like, you know, she had the third floor walk up and I, I'm guessing she was working her butt off, you know, to get, you know, whatever, like all the recipes that she needed for the New York times and to, you know, like all that stuff. And I don't think that she had, you know, an army of PR people like handling her Insta. No, I don't think so either. And but I, I but I think had. that's I, I think that's why there's a hypocrisy to it is because I think she believes that she possesses um, an authenticity that the others don't. And I mean, don't we all feel that way about our relationship to social media? Oh, I've got it at arm's length. I'm keeping myself um, integrated and whole, and I belong to myself. I just do this thing on the side, or well, I'm going to promote my thing, but you know. I'm still me, but, but actually it takes little bits of us and, it does. um, yeah, it does. I and I think that Alison Roman didn't think that it had taken little bits of her. She thought she was fully integrated and, and, and whole and authentic. And that Chrissy Teigen had literally sold herself, had like capitalized herself to the point of not being a real person. Um, and that's, I think that we all, I am Alison Roman. Like we all are Alison Roman a little bit. Like we all think that we're, uh, sheltered from. I do the, think. I think the way, I think, the way that the internet erodes us, and I think yeah, that maybe I think we're that, not. I think that the. I think for me, what the takeaway with Roman, because as you mentioned, right, like I clearly did a deep dive into her, was that um, she had a history of being incredibly mean. To well, you know, I. I just want to say for the record, like, I don't believe that. I don't know that. I don't know her. I can't like, it's interesting yeah. that that is now also coming out, but I, I can't verify that. And I wouldn't sign up to yeah. 
to saying, oh, well, I've heard it now once. Now I know once, she's yeah. mean, you know? Yeah. yeah. But but listen, her recipes are great. And I think- I think her recipes are really good. And, and guess and what? So think, are, and guess what? So are Kofi Tigans. I don't, yeah. I th- and you I know? don't think either of them are racist by appropriating different ingredients from different cultures. Is it possible that the diff- whole thing that's a, is- That's a different conversation that we need to yeah. have. This whole thing is, yeah, as, as somebody wrote in The Guardian, this whole thing is a phenomenon of Twitter and of, of internet rage and actually maybe at the end of the day. Um, but also just the fact that we want something else to focus on rather than Corona and Trump. Yeah. Um, luckily, I had food poisoning, so I could focus on that, which was really fun. <laughs> you should try it. It's great. Uh, eat a dirty leek and shit for two days. It'll be a great time. Um, okay. Let's, that's my nemesis. My nemesis is <laughs> the dirty leaf, the dirty produce that, that ruined my life. Um, all right. Uh, guys, this has been a real pleasure. I almost feel yeah, a bit dirty evening, guys. What? Welcome to spice bags. This is Blanca. Like, I think that you, should we do that? We should, we should introduce the show. I don't know. Blanca. <laughs> that seems like a I stupid think we should. <laughs> I've been told we're starting to not do it. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, welcome to spice bags this is so people know okay welcome to spice bags i'm julia these two stupid sluts are okay i'm starting a feud i'm starting a feud that didn't even feel good to say as a joke i'm sorry i love you guys sorry amalia has said uh, i can't listen she can't listen to our podcast because we use profanity (gasps) wow listen to her very well raised (laughs) She well can done. say it, but not us. <laughs> That's a brag. Um, Do we need a quarter uh, every time we swear or something? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's my fault. It's my fault. I don't care. I'm leaving anyway. Um, I uh, am Julia. May and Blanca are here, obviously, with me. This is Spice Bags. If you don't know that already, you've not been paying attention. And if you want to get in touch, oh, we never, you know what? We owe our listeners. Um, we need to get back to you about Manuela. Our discussion last episode with Manuela Spinelli, some things came up about pasta in Italy. We don't have time to deal with that anymore, but we will in our next episode. Um, so stay tuned and thank you for being in touch about feuds, about pasta in Italy, um, and about all kinds of things. Um, and stay in touch, Twitter, email, uh, Instagram, Spice Bags Pod. Keep it real and keep it friendly. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.